Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. The scripture reading today is from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 and 9 through 17. Now, son of man, take a block of clay... Put it in front of you and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then lay siege to it. Erect siege works against it. Build a ramp up to it. Set up camps against it and put battering rams around it. Then take an iron pan. Place it as an iron wall between you and the city and turn your face toward it. It will be under siege and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the people of Israel. And continuing with verse 9, take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and spelt, put them in a storage jar and use them to make bread for yourself. You are to eat it during the 390 days you lie on your side. Weigh out 20 shekels of food to eat each day and eat it at set times. Also measure out a sixth of a hen of water and drink it at set times. Eat the food as you would a loaf of barley bread. Bake it in the sight of the people, using human excrement for fuel. The Lord said, in this way, the people of Israel will eat defiled food among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, not so, sovereign Lord. I have never defiled myself. From my youth until now, I have never eaten anything found dead or torn by wild animals. No impure meat has ever entered my mouth. Very well, the Lord said. I will let you bake your bread over cow dung instead of human excrement. He then said to me, Son of man, I am about to cut off the food supply in Jerusalem. The people will eat rationed food in anxiety and drink rationed water in despair, for food and water will be scarce. They will be appalled at the sight of each other and will waste away because of their sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yes, I know that look. Good luck with that. <clears throat> if you're here for the very first time, you must be really puzzled. We're actually in a sermon series called Stranger Things, where we are finding the strangest stories in the Old Testament, believing that there might be some meaning, truth, and beauty hidden underneath these bizarre stories. And I think we hit the jackpot. Uh, I thought to myself, for those people who are here on July 2nd, they deserve some of the best stuff. So I personally have reserved this message for today just because of that. Uh, to be honest, I, uh, this is a pastor confession. I didn't know the story was in the Bible three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, I was just looking for what are some of the weirder stories, and I stumbled on this, and I go, really? Really? What is this about? Uh, for me, in these last couple of weeks, I, I've had the privilege to just sit in this uh, story, and man, it is beautiful. Beneath the craziness, beneath the bizarre nature of this story, underneath it is some real good meaning for us, pointing us to life and health. And uh, so I enjoy walking this journey with you in this next, uh, next little time together. To understand this bizarre story, we have to see the bigger picture. Uh, this story takes place well before Jesus' day. 
And, and this was the time for the nation of Israel that it actually had broken into two different kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom called Israel, and then there's the southern kingdom called Judah. And Israel had been sacked. It had been taken over by, uh, by foreign nations, and people had been dispersed. And so the southern kingdom, Judah, still remained intact. Uh, but they, as you could see in this passage, they were going through some stuff. They had turned from God, and God again and again and again sent prophets to go warn the people, return to me, return to me. And again and again, they refuted those. And so God sent this man named Ezekiel. If you're looking at Ezekiel 1, you see that Ezekiel is a priest. He's a priest. He's known in his community as someone who's righteous and devout, someone who is holy and the, everyone in Judah would have known about Ezekiel the priest. But he was struck by an unexpected vision, and God put a call in his life that you're now not a priest. You're going to be my prophet. And what a prophet is, prophet is just someone that's used by God to give a special message to God's people, usually that of warning, usually of that of, of turn your ways, repentance. And so in this, we find that that is exactly what happened we find here the way the story begins is, uh, if we roll back this, the reel a little bit, in Ezekiel 2, 3, um, this is what happens. God said to Ezekiel, son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. Then in verse 9, this is what happens, this is how God prepares Ezekiel. Then I looked, this is I being Ezekiel, then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. This was the hand of God in this vision. And in this hand was a scroll, which he unrolled before me. On both sides were written words of lament and mourning and woe. This is really important to see because without this picture, we might have a picture of God as some distant force judging us from some chasm totally detached from us, but we see here that God has been writing a scroll of lament, of mourning, of woe. Another word for the word lament, you could translate that of wailing, that God was looking at these people whom he loved, this people who he, he was walking in this covenant with, and they were turning from him, and they were turning and choosing death over and over again, and God is affected. God is lamenting, he's wailing, he's mourning, he's in deep suffering, looking at this loved one turning from him. And so this is important for us to see, because God is deeply affected by the choices of the nation of Israel. And I don't know if you actually take comfort in that, or that actually is a little bit oppressive to you, that God is affected by our decisions as well. That God might see us turning from him and choosing death, and God might have lament and mourn. God might have woe. And so this is what happens. Before God sent Ezekiel out to do this work, God prepares Ezekiel by giving him this word. Now, usually for prophets, uh, God would give the prophet a word, and the prophet would hear it, he would see it, and then they would go and share it, but not hear it. This is where the story starts to get weird. In verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, Then he, God, said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll, and then go and speak to the people of Israel, rather than don't just look at it, actually consume it. Take it in. Eat the scroll. And so Ezekiel opened his mouth, 
And he gave me the scroll to eat, in verse 3, so I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Before being sent out, God prepared Ezekiel by giving him a scroll, this word of God. And honey was a delicacy for that nation, that day and age. It was a delicacy. It was so special. And this is how God intended it, that God's word, when we receive it, it is sweet. It is delicate. Rabbis in, in the Hebrew tradition, when they would give uh, their, their students the Torah, what they would do, they would have them hold the Torah in one hand, and on the other, they would put on their finger honey. And to remind them, this is how this is to be, that this should taste sweet to you, that God's word for you is meant to be sweet. It, it is meant to be delicate. It is meant to be something that you take in, that's rich. And I'm just curious for myself as I was reading it this week, is that really how I see Scripture? Is that really how I see Scripture? Do I actually, like, see Scripture as something I go to for checklists, I go to kind of proofread my own life, or do I see it something that is a gift of God, that is sweet like honey, that I get to take in, actually consume it inside of me? It is that how sweet God's Word is for me. It was for Ezekiel. He was, he was given... God's word, and it was meant to be good. Remember, even when uh, God was sending the nation of Israel into the promised land, what did he promise? I promise you a land flowing with milk and honey. Like, my provision for you is good. And so it is with God's word. Uh, so then God sends Ezekiel, and Ezekiel will quickly find out that he has a very weird assignment. First thing that, he, that God has Ezekiel do is, I want you to go into your home and not leave. Okay? And then, as soon as he enters his home, his tongue gets stuck to the roof of his mouth, and he's mute. Okay? And here's a kicker. This lasts for seven and a half years. Homebound and mute for seven and a half years. This is bizarre because the role of a prophet was a couple things. The role of a prophet was to go out and to declare God's word. And he's shut up. Like he's mute. He can't talk. And also the role of prophet, that the prophet would live among the community and be among the people. And then uh, as a known entity would speak God's word. And here Ezekiel will spend the next years of his life kind of like a cuckoo clock where the, he will only be sent out when he has something to do, something to share, and then he comes back in in silence. Kind of like the crazy cat woman in your neighborhood. Like when you see her out, like all the kids go, hey, look, crazy Carol's out with her cats. You know, like that kind of thing. And everyone kind of stops and looks. I think this was God's design that Ezekiel would be this peculiar person, not declaring these things, but enacting in them. Why would that be the case? Why not Ezekiel just share, this is what's going to happen, turn, your, turn from your sins? I think it's because when the crazy cat woman comes out, everyone is watching to see what they will do. And Ezekiel, instead of Ezekiel just coming outside and declaring it, everyone goes, yada, yada, we've heard you say this. He starts in this prophetic drama, like a street performer. And the crowd started gathering around and watching him going, what in the world is he doing and I think this was the case because God wanted seared in their memory because they were, they were going to have a hard time remembering what was going to happen because their world was about to fall apart. And they might forget what someone has said, but they're rarely going to forget 
what this crazy man has done over and over and over again. So uh, to help me with this, I, I would like to have a volunteer. Any volunteers here? Kelsey, thank you so much for volunteering. Yeah, come on up. Yeah, thank you so much. It's very nice of you. Up, up here on the stage. Let's not have you hide out. So what does Ezekiel do? This is Kelsey Kappel, by the way. Let's go ahead and give him applause now. Very good to see you. This is not your first time here. No. Just this is for all our first time guests. We don't pick on, it's not like hazing. Uh, so uh, what Ezekiel does is uh, Ezekiel is told by God to demonstrate, not say, but demonstrate what is going to happen, a prophetic acting out. And I thought it would be good to have someone, a volunteer, act this out for us so that maybe we might remember it too. So let's just go through this story. All right, so uh, I'm going to move over here, make some room for you, Kelsey. I know you don't want to hide out. Okay, so in the message version, I'm going to switch over the message version because it's a little bit more understandable. So in the message version, chapter 4, Now, son of man, take a brick and place it before you. Okay, so Kelsey, here's a brick for you. And uh, so if you can, go ahead and sit down. Perfect, thank you. Go, no, go ahead and you sit down. Yeah, go ahead and sit down. Awesome. Okay, so take the brick and place it before you. Now draw a picture of the city of Jerusalem on it. And then, uh, if you can then, make a model using that brick and, and build a siege against it. Okay, so I don't have any... I have an older daughter, so I don't have any battle stuff, but I have, like, princesses and things like that. So, if you can, now, act like this rhinoceros and this uh, princess, and here's some battling rams for you. Now, draw the picture. Why haven't you drawn the picture of Jerusalem? I mean, you need to draw the picture of Jerusalem on it. And then start battling. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, so, as that's happening, now, imagine... Ezekiel, he doesn't just do this one day. He does this day after day after day. That's a beautiful Jerusalem, by the way. I wish you guys could see this Jerusalem. It's awesome. And every day he would do this. Okay, that's perfect. So go ahead and now, if you would, start battling. Yeah, that's good enough. Yeah, so go ahead and start doing that. So imagine that this is the role, this well-known priest now is battling the city of Jerusalem with a brick. Okay, Okay, so then it gets better. Then get an iron skillet and place it upright. Yeah, place it upright uh, between you and the city. Uh-huh, yeah. And this is, the, <laughs> this is the iron wall. Now face the model. The city shall be under siege, and you will be the besieger. So you are enacting the, this role. You are besieging and, and attacking the city. This will be a sign for this, the family of Israel. Now think about this. Really, God? Is this really going to do the trick? Like role-playing, like Dungeons and Dragons type stuff? Really? I thought people did that in private. Uh, and here's Ezekiel playing with his Legos again. You know, like, is this really going to do the trick? Now, this, this brick right here, if you could please uh, continue to battle it. You're not battling it enough. Thank you. Um, this brick symbolizes the city of Jerusalem. And he is role-playing what is about to happen. It is interesting that, you know, last week we talked about the symbol of bricks. If you guys were here last week, the symbol of bricks, what did it symbolize? It symbolized a curse. It symbolized slavery. It symbolized being sent out. And here we are using this brick to this nation. He's starting to speak about a curse of slavery. And here Ezekiel is role-playing that this enemy is about to break it down. Now, here's where it's going to get good, Kelsey. 
Verse four, next, lie on your left side and place the sin of the family of Israel on yourself. So go ahead and lie on your left side. Would you like a yoga mat, by the way? Sure. Okay. I haven't used that in years. I'm just going to be honest about that. Okay, so lie on your left side and place the sin of the family of Israel on yourself. (laughs) You will bear the sin for as many days as you lie on your side. The number of the days that you will bear your sin, get comfortable, Kelsey, will match the number of years of their sin. 390. For 390 days, you will bear the sin of the family of Israel. Do you feel up for the challenge? 390 days, Kelsey. I mean, I, you would think if you were to hear this from God, you'd be like, is, are you serious? Are you serious? 390 days just coming outside, making this little war figurine, and just laying on your side. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. You know, like, is that really going to do it? Okay, next. Then after you have done this, now, Kelsey, if you can, turn over and lie on your right side. So you can turn your side now. Yeah, good. <laughs> Thank you. And now bear the sin of the family of Judah. You're, so what happened is for 390 days, he's bearing one year of sin for the northern kingdom. Remember that the nation of Israel is broken into two. For 390 years of rebellion that the northern kingdom had done. And here, for 40 days, Ezekiel will lay on his other side facing the family of Judah. And your assignment this time is to lie there for 40 days, a day for each year of their sin. Look straight at the siege of Jerusalem, roll up your sleeve, and shake your bare arm against. Can you shake your bare arm? There you go. Thank you. Verse 8, I will tie you up with ropes, tie you so that you cannot move and turn over until you finish the days of the siege. Uh, the, nu- the numbers are really confusing. It's really odd. We're not really sure what to do with it. But the thing that's most important for me is that for all of these days or for all of these years, God had to bear the sin of his beloved. For all 430 years, God was lamenting, God was mourning, God had woe. And all of this is to demonstrate what has already happened. God is saying, look, this is a sign of what has already happened. And while Ezekiel is spending these days playing battle... God also had a culinary treat in store for him to speak of their future, not only about their past, but also of their future. In verse 9, uh, n- next I want you to take some wheat and barley, beans and lentils. Here you go. I got a little something for you. Make sure not to open it. it smells a little weird. Uh, this is your food ration for the next 390 days you lay on your side. Measure out about a half a pound for each day and eat it on schedule. Also measure out your daily ration without a pint of water. Okay? This is right here. Here we go, some water for you. This right here is about, a, that's about half a pint of water and drink it on schedule. Eat the bread as you would a muffin and bake the muffin out in the open where everyone can see it using dried human dung for fuel. Just kidding. Okay, so stick with me. I know that's like just shocking and that kind of thing, but a couple things are going on here. God is giving Ezekiel a demonstration of the future. God is saying, this is what has already happened for 430 days. You guys have rebelled. And this now is what is set before you. And what is going on here is that this portion, this food and this water right here, this right here is the portions given to someone who's a slave or a prisoner. 
that this is a, this is a prisoner's ration. And what, what Ezekiel is demonstrating is this is how desperate you will be. You people who had given a promised land, land flowing with milk and honey, with everything that you were ever needed, you very soon will be this desperate, eating this small, drinking this little, cooking over this right here. This is how desperate it will be. You will be starving. And think about Ezekiel coming out every single day. This is the only thing he consumed for over 400 days. This is what he, as his body was, was deteriorating, his body was wasting away. He was a demonstration that this will happen to you. And I love how, uh, how, this, how uh, Ezekiel responded. In verse 14, I said, God, my master, never, never have I contaminated myself with food like that. Since my youth, I've never eaten anything forbidden by law, nothing found dead or violated by wild animals. I've never taken a single bite of forbidden food. And then God responded, all right, I'll let you bake your bread over cow dung instead of human dung. Whew, thanks, God. Let's give it up for Kelsey, by the way. Thank you, Kelsey. You're a great prophet. You, you can leave it here. I'll take care of it. Thank you. Wow. He's not coming back to church. Um, no, but just think about this. this. Think about this interaction that's happened right here. Is that for all of these, all of these uh, days, Ezekiel has been willing. He's been silently submissive to what God has called him to do. And what is the first time he protests? Well, it's when he's asked to cook over human dung, right? And it's funny for me, when I look at that, I go, of course, who wouldn't do that? Like, who wouldn't want to object to God? But the interesting thing is what the text shares about us is what is Ezekiel's intent about saying no? It's not that he thought it was gross or strange or humiliating. I think he's already been humiliated. I think that what we see here is he doesn't want to be made unclean. Out of all the crazy things that God has had him do, he just doesn't want to be made unclean. Like, that is his heart, is that, God, I, I just want to be your willing servant. I just, want to, I, just want to, I just want to be your willing servant. I want to be holy and righteous just following you. And so the first time where he objects is by the fact that he doesn't want to be made unclean. I think that if God were to see that in us, as God saw that in him, how much would that, that delight God? That the one thing that we long for more than others is we want to be pure. We want to walk with God. And I think that uh, Jesus even reminds us on, in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God loves it when we as God's people, God's children, long to be filled with righteousness. And God promises to give us, to sustain us. To make us pure. But I think there's something even deeper with this meal. I think God is painting a comparison. Remember how the story begins? It begins with a, a sacred meal, right? Where Ezekiel is given this scroll, the word of God, to consume it, to take it, and it tastes like honey. And here, the other extreme is this meal, a prisoner's ration that was unclean. And I think it's what God's word is doing for us is sharing us a comparison of what happens when we are people who are willing to follow, to follow God and people who are stubborn in our own ways. And the comparison is, is just powerful because one, one is a, a meal of humble obedience that's a sweet portion, and the other is a prideful rebellion that tastes 
like a small ration that leads to desperation. And for me, like, I just want, I want to know what it tastes to have sweet, humble obedience to God. I think God promises it will be like honey. So this was never God's plan for the nation of Israel, this besieged, being taken away as slaves, being that desperate. It was never God's plan. And ultimately, God allowed it. And I think God allowed it knowing, being full of hope, that one day they would awake in a foreign land and respond to God's grace. That this wasn't the end of their story, that eventually they will wake up to God's grace and return. I see God almost as like a parent who has a child wanting to leave the home, and eventually God opens up the door, and a heartbreaking action opens up the door and lets the child go. And during this exile, maybe God prayed the same heart-wrenching prayer that many of us had prayed over our loved ones when they have chosen death over and over again. May they hit rock bottom so that they wake up. May they hit rock bottom so that they wake up so that they could return to me and return to themselves. Um, a theologian, Soon Shen Ra, he wrote about this, uh, this, this sending the exile, that Yahweh, which is another way of saying God, God's integrity in acting proper judgment should lead us to the recognition that his integrity will also be evidenced in the process of restoration. What this is saying is that if God will make good on his promise to release them to this curse, then too God will be good to his promise to bring them home again, to restore them once again. This is God's plan. It's always redemption. It's always redemption. Even later in the story, God will use Ezekiel to actually say these words, that he will use Ezekiel to say these words of prophecy in Ezekiel 11. Therefore, say... This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations and I will bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered. I will give you back the land of Israel again. They will return to it and remove all its vile images and detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to follow my laws. They will be my people, and I will be their God. God's plan is always that of restoration. Not only to bring them back to their home, but also bring them back into relationship. They will be my people, and I will be their God. This is, how, this is always how God's plan is for us. Ultimately, we see the greatest example of this through Jesus. Oftentimes in Old Testament stories, you'll see a golden thread weaving through the Old Testament. And that, that golden thread is the thread of Jesus, pointing to what is to come. And there is such a beautiful comparison to Jesus and Ezekiel. Just as Ezekiel was forced to lay down on his side for all of these days to bear the sin of the people, so too did Jesus lay himself down to bear the sins of the world. Just as Ezekiel was forced to eat the detestable and to be made unclean, so did Jesus taste death. And he who knew no sin became sin for us. Just as Ezekiel was humiliated in front of the crowds and was stripped naked, or humiliated in front of the crowds, Jesus was stripped naked. He was shamed. He was brought low. Just as Ezekiel was rationed, he was left hungry and thirsty. So too, even Jesus upon the cross yelled out that he had his own thirst. When Ezekiel declares God's intent to bring 
them back to put a new heart and a new spirit inside of them, to create a new relationship. This ultimately is seen in Jesus, that we too have been made new. We too have had access to a new covenant, a new relationship with God. And my question for us today is where are we at in this story? Where are we at in this story? Are we living in this reality now of the redemption that God wants to do in us? Are we in this story where we are been exiled and we are so tired of eating the small portions that we're wasting away? We're so desperate to be returned back to home. Or maybe you're in the middle of, of even rebelling from God, turning deaf ears to God, and God wants to say, hey, it's not too late. Wake up. You don't have to be sent out. I think that what we have here is a promise from God that in Jesus, it's not a one-shot deal, but God's grace is always here, always restoring, always redeeming. Ultimately, we should taste this and know this, the sweetness of this like honey, that he will be our God and we will be his people. Is that something that tastes good to you today?